Good to see you all here this morning, all those smiling faces. Uh, did anyone get a pancake, by the way, this morning? A handful of people did, the rest of you forgot. Maybe I didn't promote it strong enough, but there was pancakes this morning. Is there leftovers? All right, well, you can grab one on the way out if you want, you know. If you feel good about having a cold pancake, then you're welcome to do that. Hey, a big congratulations has to go. You've got to stop looking at someone else for a second, Ash, Ashley, because Ash and Dan got engaged a couple of weeks ago. Can we congratulate them? You distracted them, Jacob. You missed their moment. <laughs> a couple other things that are coming up in uh, a couple of weeks' time. It, uh, it'll be a, a, a happy but sad day because it's the, going to be the final day for the Vanderpols that are going to be with us. That'll be January the 17th. Make sure you hear that day. Um, Pastor Steve will be preaching, uh, we'll be having a, a special morning tea, and then, this is exciting, Steve will be ordained on that day after the service. He will officially be Reverend Steve Vanderpoel on the 17th of January, and, 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 I, and Pastor Steve really wanted to be done in this district in South Queensland, right before they headed off to, before Victoria gets their hands all over them, so... Make sure you're here and, and, and just plan for a longish morning. We'll come back in to the auditorium about 11 o'clock and we'll do an ordination service and uh, the Reverend Rex will be here with some of his, um, what do we call them, henchmen, you know, the, the big guys, <laughs> the, they'll drop the um, hand of blessing <laughs> and we'll be praying for the Holy Spirit to empower your ministry. So be here that day. And then bring, a be- bring your own lunch because afterwards we'll have a BYO lunch together as we bless and send off this uh, awesome family at the front who's preparing to drive through New South Wales into Victoria, which will be exciting, right? Um, coming up on February the 7th, this is really important. We're going to start uh, another round of the marriage course. And uh, if you've done the marriage course, who's done the marriage course here before? Hand, yep, it's good, right? Those of you with your hands up. They've redone it. It's even better now. So you can do it again if you want to. Shelly and I are going to do it again because we need it. No, because, <laughs> because every marriage actually needs it. Every relationship. Uh, it's modernized. It's, it's really good. In fact, let's watch. I should just stop talking. Let's watch the video now. There's a trailer here. I want you to... Marriage involves two people. They meet. You found me really attractive, really quickly. <laughs> they fall in love. She's passionate. <laughs> they get married and embark on a relationship that's designed to be one of increasing intimacy. I really couldn't see my life without her. But that's not automatic. We have to keep working at our marriage. Because I wasn't getting much affirmation, I started getting that from other places. Our marriage was nearly over. If you start building good habits in your relationship, you'll be reaping the effects of those choices in 5, 10 or 20 years' time. I can't let my past define my future. We have to build our own reality. The aim of the marriage course is to strengthen the connection between you as a couple. Love grows us. This is not a silly sentimental idea. This is science fact. How about one that we don't really hear about? How about this one? Fun. Marriage ought to be fun. If you're not having fun, what's the point? The marriage course is built on universal principles that are relevant to any couple anywhere. 
In years to come, you'll look back on having built a marriage as perhaps the most important achievement of all in your lives. And so I just want to encourage you, um, you know, whether you've been married for um, six months or 60 years, whatever it is, if, if you can be married for 60 years, then, then please come along. But more importantly, here's what I want you to know. This is a great opportunity for us as a church to meet needs in, in our neighbourhood, in our community, right? And so if you've got friends that, that you think um, would benefit, in fact, anyone, quite frankly, who's married or even in a relationship, um, then you, you could give them an invitation. We've got invitations on both of the information desk at either door. I just wanted to take, to take a couple as you leave today and either come yourself or invite someone and, and let them know what's happening. The thing about the marriage course is you don't sit in a group of people and share all your intimate details with other people, okay? You actually just sit with your spouse and you talk together and you communicate together and that's the best thing that can, can come out of it, I promise. So um, please take advantage of that. We're letting people who are visiting the op shop know all about it. We want the community to know about it. I'm going to try and put a, an ad in the paper, in the local paper as well. Because this is something, a gift that we can give our neighbourhood, our community, is, is help them to strengthen marriages. Yeah? Is everybody with me on that one? Yeah. That's good. And the other thing is at the end of the marriage courses, I'll be inviting them to come to Alpha as well, which will be in um, term two probably of this year, 2021 we're in, if you can believe that. All right. The last thing is, as most of you will know, the sad news this week was that we lost Mary Ann Mark. Um, she did pass away on um, Monday. And uh, we want to pray for uh, Katrina this morning especially. Uh, we don't yet know when the funeral will be or where that will be, and I will, I will let you know. But uh, if you will join me, she's one of us, she's part of our family, but we also know now that she's with the Lord. We know that Mary Ann had a difficult life, and, uh, and now she has... You know, all the ailments that she suffered from all these years are gone. She has a new body. And we want to celebrate that, but we'll also pray for Katrina. Lord, we want to just thank you for this precious, precious person that you brought into our life, into our church family, um, nearly more than 10 years ago. You know, baptised here, uh, gave her life to you, Lord Jesus. And, and God, we thank you for, um, you know, what she brought to us. God, I really do. But this morning we remember her daughter Katrina who's, who's grieving right now. And, and God, we pray that she will know your, your peace that surpasses understanding in this time. God, I pray that you will also provide for her needs. Help us as, as her church family to always remember to do that for her too, God, we pray. Lord, I, I pray that as we prepare now for a funeral for her, that this might be an opportunity to honour her, um, Lord, to... Um, to also bring family together, but also, Lord, to tell, tell the world about the faith that she had in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the scripture for this morning. It's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It's one sentence. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So let me ask you, right at the beginning of the year, can I... Say that about myself. That, that's me. That I'm asking myself, I'm asking you to ask yourself the same question. Do I have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had? And if you're unsure of what that looks like, I hope to bring some clarity this week, next week, and then on the 24th, over three Sundays. We want to preach around this topic because according to Paul, our attitude in life should be the same. 
as Jesus. Winston Churchill said, attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. There is nothing worse than a bad attitude, yeah? Not just around matters of faith in the church, but in, in all life, you know, in relationships, in the workplace, in, in everything we do, which is for us as Christians, it's all connected to faith anyway, right? But conversely, there is nothing better than a good attitude, than a right attitude. So what do we mean by attitude? Well, when I look, this is the NLT translation. The NIV uses the word mindset, right? That might help you a little bit. Having the same mindset as Jesus. And I, and I guess in a way, it's, it's a bit similar to the teaching we did in November last year. Actually, Rachel shared from Romans 12 this morning, which worked out really well, about this idea you know, in our Renovate series, this idea of changing the way we think. You know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformation it's, it's one of the key messages of the gospel because a relationship with Jesus changes us. It, it should anyway. And so part of the renewing of our mind, you know, Romans 12, if you remember, is changing the way we think and our mindset has to change. And from a mindset aligned with Christ, I think this, come, this is where our attitude comes from. It, it's an outward thing, attitude. The thing is, this verse is not a suggestion. It's not a request. The Bible doesn't say you should consider having an attitude that is somewhat like Jesus. You know, the words here are must and same. And maybe I add in the word you as well. You must have the same attitude that Jesus had. Paul says you. That means he's talking to me and every person here today. Not the person next to you. You know, whatever you do, don't start elbowing someone. Sometimes I see that happening when I look around, by the way. <laughs> don't think of someone else. Shut out all that thinking. Today, Lord, what are you saying to me in this verse? I must have the same attitude as Jesus. Now, I want to make a big statement. Here's what I reckon. Success in every aspect of your life is dependent on your attitude. Do you agree with me on that one? You know, of course it's dependent on many other things, but the right attitude, as far as I, my experience in life, is essential. If I want to be good at something, you know, relationships, my job, my ministry, whatever it is, if I don't have the right attitude, I, I, don't expect, I can't expect to have success in that. You know, as someone who, who employed people in my previous job and even in this job, it's attitude that I'm looking for over nearly everything. You know, even over qualifications, even over experience. Because those things can, can come, right? But attitude makes or breaks someone's success. Because attitude makes a big difference. And attitude is reflected in more than actions. You know, it's our mindset um, you know, it, it's the kind of thing that radiates from us. It, it's a visible demeanor, even. People can pick up on my attitude by the expression on my face. You know, even how I stand, perhaps. But yes, how we, how we talk and, and, and our actions count. But it's the, something that radiates out of us. So I've got some quick truths about attitude that I've come up with that I hope will help you today. The first thing is, is that the right attitude is a choice. And I know this is a, a familiar kind of point that I've made over the last few months. You know, when we're talking about renovating our mind, a right attitude is a choice. It doesn't always come naturally. 
You have to make daily a choice to have a good attitude that would be the same one that Jesus had. Because, you know, you can wake up in the morning and feel terrible, and that attitude will go with you for the rest of the day, but you can also stop and say, I don't have to feel this way right now, and I can change my attitude. If you connect your attitude to your feelings and circumstances, then you'll probably never have the attitude that Jesus had. There will always be a reason to not have a good one. There will always be something or someone in your life that's not how you want it to be. And, you, and, and if that starts to come through in your attitude, then you, there'll always be a struggle for us. Of course, I'm not saying that we don't have times of sorrow and grief and concern. I'm not saying that you can't be disappointed. And I'm not saying that you can't even be depressed at times. You know, I'm definitely not a believer in fake it until you make it. All right? I, I just don't like that statement. I don't believe in fake. But we can make a choice. None of those hard and difficult things in our lives can stop us from having an attitude like Jesus did. Because Jesus wasn't bitter. We know that he wept and grieved and struggled and people were against him. But he wasn't bitter or negative or condemning. His attitude to his father and to others stayed good. His attitude to the kingdom remained positive. You know, I remember... um, a high school camp, I was on the leadership team for, for quite a few years, but many years back. Um, actually, there's two stories that come out of this, right? If you've ever been to a high school camp as a leader, you know one of the hardest things is that you have to be at the at a leader's meeting every morning at, what is it, 6 o'clock, I think, isn't it? Well, I can tell you, young adults aren't that good <laughs> at having a right attitude about that thing. And I remember for a few years, they would filter in at 6 o'clock with... Let's just say not the best attitude in the world. Some of them, some of them, okay? If you were here, you were great. (laughs) But I remember one year when we were planning for a high school camp, we said, we don't want this anymore. What are we going to do? It was as simple as saying, hey, you guys, I know this is hard. I want you to wake up early enough to get there on time and to walk in that door with a really good attitude. Do you remember saying this, Anna? And it made a difference to their whole day. Second thing from that meeting is I remember a year and um, for whatever reason something had not been good the night before and um, one of the leaders decided to kind of chastise that group at that 6am meeting the, the next day, which I didn't think was great leadership by the way because we then had to walk out and be in our teams with, our, with the students, with the teenagers. You know, to kind of, you cop that, okay now go off and be awesome. And I remember as I left that door, there was a friend of mine, he's a pastor in Sydney now, his name is Andy Lewis and he said to me, That's really hard, but I now have to be awesome for those kids. And I'm going to just, I'm going to shrug that off and change my attitude right now. Not fake it, but actually change my attitude. See, we have to make a mental choice to switch off a wrong attitude, which does no one any favours, including yourselves, and switch on a right one, renewing the way we think. The second thing is a right attitude is fueled by faith. You know, it's our faith in our loving Father and his promises that helps us face each day with a good attitude. You know, spending time and pushing in closer to to the Lord. Because our faith in Jesus, we have a genuine reason to have a right attitude. You know, maybe if you're not a follower of Christ, it is hard to find a good reason. But if you're a follower of Christ, there is a very good reason for us to have a right attitude. When When we push in closer to God, he transforms us. And, and I, can I just say, 
when you push in closer, that it, you can't help it. It's reflected in your attitude as you go about your day. And people can tell. The third thing is the right attitude accomplishes great things. You know, great relationships, great organizations, even great churches, whereas a bad attitude sabotages those things. The good or bad quality of our relationships as husbands and wives and friends and employers and employees is determined by our attitude that we choose to take into those relationships. A good attitude will build a relationship, and I'm going to have more to say on this next week because we're going to pull apart actually all the verses that surround Philippians 2.5, okay, which Paul has some more to say on that. If you're a boss or a business owner with the right attitude that inspires his or her employees to do great things, you will see great things happen. Conversely, a wrong attitude from a person in authority is like a lead weight and it drags the whole organization back. It's the same for church leaders. You know, churches can be, you know, this is why leadership is so important. Because leaders can make or break it with their attitude. When it comes to faith, the attitude of Jesus, we can accomplish the mission God has given us. And a bit like Henry Cloud said on that marriage trailer just there, and we can enjoy doing it. This is the wonder of good attitudes. You know, we can dream big. We can see lives change. We can have healthy relationships with others, healthy churches. With the right attitude, we can have all the fullness of a deep walk with God. We can see God move in miraculous ways. But if we walk into church with low faith and a bad attitude, don't expect to see God move in miraculous ways. You know, don't expect to see life in the church if I'm going to mope around, especially as a pastor, thinking everything's terrible, nothing's ever working, I've got to do sound as well as preach on the one day. How does that work? You know... We can have the right attitude, even when things aren't going right. Because attitude, as Churchill said, makes a big difference. A good attitude, that is. So as I said, over the next few messages, we're going to look into that. And so just starting today, that was a long intro. I, know, I want to just quickly focus into one attitude of Jesus, and that was his love for his Father. Because it all starts with this. You know, This is why we always start with glorify God in our mission statement. That's number one. It's what we're about it's what Jesus was about. That was his attitude. My attitude should match the same one that Jesus had towards his father. So I just want to quickly show you some examples because what we're going to, what we're going to do over the next three services, three messages, is look at what Jesus did. If it's his attitude we have to have, we're going to look at what he did. So the first thing is he had an attitude of happily serving God for his glory. And I deliberately put the word happily in there. In John 17, 4, he says, I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. You know, I, I've printed this verse out and I've stuck it on the door of my office because I, I kind of want this to be what I'm about in life. You know, I like what Jesus is doing. I want to emulate him, don't I? I want to bring glory to God by working for him here on earth, giving, doing the things he asked me to do. To glorify God by doing the assignment he has given. So let me just tell you what it is for me, because in a nutshell, it, I can narrow it down to just four things. There's many others, but four, ba four big things. The first thing is, here's what God's called me to do. Love and care for my wife and family. That's the attitude I have to have. The second thing is to shepherd and disciple all of you, the believers at Hills Church, to love Jesus. To love Jesus more. 
The third thing is to lead this church to reach our community with the gospel and compassionately care for the people around us. And the fourth thing is to raise up a new generation of disciples who love Jesus and will take on and advance the mission when I'm finished of spreading the gospel. And of course, yeah, there's more than those fours, but I want to do those things for God's glory. Even when it gets hard and to succeed, I've got to do it with the right attitude. And it does get hard. But my attitude needs to focus on the big picture, and that's God's kingdom and the mission he gave me, and quite frankly, it's the mission he gave all of us here today. So when the going gets tough, we push on in the same spirit of the New Testament disciples that, who had to face setback and challenge and setback and challenge. And we lean into our Father and we depend on him in faith and we follow the example they gave us. Have you ever heard the term the happy warrior? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, it's a term that comes from William Wordsworth, uh, uh, from a poem from William Wordsworth called The Character of the Happy Warrior. It was written all the way back in 1806. It's a really long poem. Can't read it today to you because it's too long. But it's, about, it's the idea of a warrior who fights for his king and despite the setbacks, he pushes on for the cause. You know, I think it's a poem about attitude. And in a way, that's the disciples of Christ. We are the happy warriors because we love Jesus and we desire to serve him and see him glorified. You know, we know the trials and setbacks in life won't separate us from his love and that there is a reward for us that's coming. The second thing is following Jesus is an attitude of willing obedience born out of love. So again, what does Jesus say? John 14, 31. I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Our attitude should be a desire to please our King, even when the commands are hard, yeah? We want to serve the King. When he asks us to give more generously, we give more generously. When he says... Give that thing up that you're doing, we, we give it up. When he says, forgive that person who's offended you, we forgive. When God says, live according to his plan for sexuality, we do it. Even though sometimes it's hard, even if the world says, you're wrong, that's the attitude we have. We obey. We obey. If God says, love that person who is hard to love, and he does say that, by the way, we, we do it. Love, loving someone who is hard to love doesn't just mean we ignore them. There's something you have to do to love a person. If God says, love your spouse and submit to each other, then that's the attitude we have, and if you don't, and if you're a follower of Jesus, find a way. You know, if your attitude to your spouse of your marriage is wrong, you're not living in obedience. We do the hard work out of obedience and change our bad attitude. You know, we have to change our mindset. That's why we do things like the marriage course. And I just want to challenge you all here today. Obeying God's commands is all-encompassing. It's not just the big-ticket items that we often think it is. You know, it's too easy to think as Christians, we're all good. We don't get drunk or take drugs or commit adultery. We don't steal or lie. You know, we pay our taxes. We never go over the speed limit. Yeah? That's one of the big ticket items, isn't it? We're all good on those things. 
aren't we? But here's what Jesus said. As an example, in Matthew 5, you have heard the commandment that says you must not commit adultery. We've heard that one and we're good. Well, I say anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And if I can be so bold as to add to Jesus' words and say uh, the opposite is true too with the opposite, uh, the opposite gender. You know, the way we look at others, the way we talk about others, the way we handle our finances, you know, how we honour people, the words we use, all these things should align with God's commands. You've got the big ticket ones. We Christians go, yep, we got that one under control. Ten Commandments is pretty good. Jesus says, following me is not just the big ticket items. It's even what goes on in here. In fact, there's a call in the Bible, for us to be holy as God is holy. Jesus says in Matthew 5, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It actually says that in the Bible. Did you know that? Not possible, you say? Well, then what was Jesus talking about? Was he exaggerating? Was it an ideal? A goal, perhaps? It's actually a call to holiness and You're right, it's not possible in our own strength because you will fail every time. But with spiritual disciplines, the support and encouragement of your brothers and sisters in the church, and most importantly, in the full power of the Holy Spirit, holy living is real and possible. A little challenge for you. See how many times Jesus talks about obedience in the Gospels as an indicator of your love for him. Here's one in John, as an example. If you love me, obey my commandments. He doesn't actually say, if you love me, pray for three hours. If you love me, sing lots of worship songs. If you love me, make sure you're in church every week. Although all of those things are very important. He says, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I encourage you, do a study of John 14 and 15. You'll just see how many times... Jesus himself says, obey my commands. It's all the way through there. Because obedience is an act of love and loving God and having the same attitude that Jesus had leads to great things. Number three, an attitude of willing submission to God's plan. Now, I get that these are all kind of similar, right? But there's some subtle differences. I hope you're hearing them. Here's Jesus again. We're focusing on Jesus. John 6. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. You know, that's again, it's an example for us. He's an example for us to follow. Now, this one is always hard. What is God's plan for me? It's a question I get all the time. And it's a question I generally cannot answer myself. I guess the most important thing is to ask the question and be open to God's leading, even if you don't receive that clarity you're looking for right now. Can I just say, especially to the young people here today, it is very rare for me to encounter someone who has a clear direction at your age. I can see it all laid out in front of me. I know exactly what God's going to do, and then I'm going to retire and go to heaven. I haven't actually met anyone yet that has said that to me. And if they have, it generally ends up being something else anyway as they go. There's a good reason God doesn't just spell out his plan for you. 
you can know his plan. That his plan for you is a good one and to accomplish great things for God, you need to be challenged. You need to grow. And growth, as we read in the scriptures, comes through experiences and trials and even failure. I love this line from C.S. Lewis. He says, failures are finger posts on the road to achievement. You will wonder what God's will is. You will feel discontent at times with what you're doing. You will start something and fail. Isn't that a positive message to preach? (laughs) But you will. You will have times of hurt and disappointment. And through all that, God will grow and reveal his plan for you in time. If you are willing to continue to seek him and submit to him, it will happen. I didn't really know God's plan for me until I was about 37, 38. Some of you will say, I didn't know God's plan until I was 58. It will happen. It's about seeking. Submit to God is the key. I'm reminded of that famous moment in in the garden of Gethsemane, right? When Jesus was facing the most horrendous thing that was about to happen to him and he knew what was going to happen and he prayed that very famous prayer, Lord, take this cup of suffering away from me, but not my will but yours be done. And and that's the key. That's the example for us. You know, you, you can ask God for anything but be ready to surrender to his will. That's how we discover his will, through submitting and saying yes. Say yes to the next thing he brings before you. Say next to the hard thing he brings your way. I remember when the compassion guys asked me to go to Thailand, I did not want to go. You know, I love the missions trips to like America and stuff. (laughs) Not to Thailand, Lord. You know, they got squatty potties. And that was my biggest fear, was that something wouldn't be going right, you know what I mean? And I would have to use one of those. That's exactly what happened. And I thank the Lord for that experience. I really do. And here's why. Hey, I had to grow up. I had to realize that my life experience was very rare in this world. And I need to see how other people actually lived and worshipped and loved God. And B, I met two of the most amazing pastors in Thailand. And, you know, they were just small churches, but here's what was amazing was, well, it's not amazing, they were going through all the same difficulties and struggles that sometimes I go through. You know, their dreams for the church hadn't really been fulfilled yet. They felt kind of down and out. That's one of them, just one of them, not the white guy there, that's, that's Matt from Anoga Baptist, but the other guy there is one of the pastors. I realized that this was where I needed to be. You know, these pastors were tired. They felt isolated. But they were called to trust and obey. And in those moments, we laughed together and cried together. We prayed together and we left renewed and encouraged. I felt like God used those two godly men to remind me about what's important, to remind me to run the good race, to remind me it's not about me. It's about following God, God's will one step at a time. And trusting him because with the right attitude and with the right submission, we can do great things for God. And I'm reading a book at the moment by uh, Jossie Chaco. Does anyone know this guy? He runs a ministry called Impart. He's the founder of it. He's originally from India, but he went to Bible college in Victoria. And he has a vision for 100,000 communities 
being transformed in the name of Jesus throughout Asia. And you think, well, that's too big a vision, too big a dream, 100,000. Why didn't he pick a small number like 100? That's what I would have done. I would have started with 10 and be happy to retire, I think, in 10 communities transformed in Jesus' name. He had a a vision for 100,000, and I can tell you what, they're on track. This man has a huge vision. I'm only partway through his book, but what stands out to me is the trials and the setbacks. And, the, and you know, his family, his, his dad died at a young age, had terrible mental health concerns. It was a huge struggle. But his attitude, well, his attitude never wavered. It was positive for the kingdom. It was positive for the vision and the mission that God had given him. His attitude to God, I think it was the same as Jesus' attitude. He's living Philippians 2, verse 5. He can easily claim the same words in John 17. He has given glory to God by completing the work that he is giving him to do. That's what I want to do too. And I want to have an attitude like Jesus in that. An attitude of loving God first makes a big difference. Let's pray together. God, I want to thank you that you set the example for us. I want to thank you, Lord Jesus, that you had an attitude of love towards people. You had an attitude of love towards your Father. You had an attitude of um, great expectation about your kingdom and the church here on earth. And God, this morning, I want to match it. I want to have the same attitude. And so, Lord, where I struggle, I pray that you will give me this daily strength to remember who you are and what you've done and what you've called us to do. God, dig us up out of the the, um, the things that sometimes get us down, I ask. Lord, help us to encourage each other to have the, the, the attitude that Jesus had every day. Lord, I pray for a church filled with followers of you that had the same outlook and mindset as you. I pray, that, Lord, that for that across the whole auditorium this morning for everybody here. And as we go, Lord, help us to have your attitude in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.